Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me as always, well, usually, is Eitan Rivera-Shine. Uh, I may- was not here last week. I just am so... Dis- I was going to say, you made, it, you made it sound as if you were alone last week. I know, exactly. I was not... I mean, I was alone without you, but not oh. recording for posterity. My life last week is a mystery to everyone, so... <laughs> But you sound very energized after your one-week break. That was a good uh, intro. High energy. Very, yeah. It was also because I flubbed it the first time, as you heard, but I will not be releasing that audio, so nobody will know. Yeah, blooper at the end. No? Blooper at the end? Maybe. Yeah, blooper at the end. How are you? So you are actually refreshed? He's not only the energy that he's showing off? Yeah, fairly refreshed. Uh, Had lots of friends and family in town over the last few weeks for Alex's birthday and just some visits and it was nice to see people host people uh the weather's in the 90s today instead of the hundreds so <laughs> really things are really looking up in old Austin sure uh You'll yeah, I'm feeling good that's good that's awesome I'm feeling good as well because Ariel and I yesterday we were able to catch past lives before it left theaters, to the point that it's already available in digital. <laughs> Funny. Uh, but we still found it, and it was in this independent theater in Newton called the West Newton Cinema, which is, uh, it's you know, it's going through this transformation to try to make it a non-profit so they can raise some funds, because it's, you know, going through some struggles. But it's nice, because it's not like Coolidge Corner, from those of you that know Coolidge Corner, where it has two beautiful, very big... Uh, theaters but then the other three or four screens are like super small like 16 people here in west newton cinema they're all like a little bit larger so we were able to watch past lives um, in a bigger screen which we were excited to do we really liked it have you seen it i have yes oh yeah it was beautiful it is beautiful there are films of its ilk that hit me a lot more emotionally and viscerally um the film In the Mood for Love is one. If you've, have you ever seen it? No. It's uh, from 2000, but looks like it's from the 1960s. Wong Kar Wai, Hong Kong film. Similar emotional timbre, though wildly different. Um, I did really like the film. Overall, I was more impressed by the two male performers, though I think they had more sympathetic and interesting characters. I think the conceit of the film inherently makes you not love Greta Lee's character as much, so therefore her performance feels maybe less flashy or specific. At least that's what I, I felt, personally. But I all around thought it was really well done. Um, overall, I think, for me, the first scene is one of my favorite scenes of the year, just the conceit of it and how it's shot from a different point of view. And nothing lived up to that first scene for me, which is a me problem, not a film, a film problem. <laughs> No, but I get it. And for me, the last, I don't know if it's like 20 minutes, like starting when she's with her husband, when she comes back from seeing him during mm-hmm. the day and they start talking about, you know, would you have loved anyone that have gone, that went through the writing retreat with you? Would you have ended here? Is there anything special about like, and at, at, on, on, at first glance, it was like, so it's such a sad like perspective 
mm-hmm. where you f- really feel for him. But towards the end of the movie, after they go to the bar and they come back and stuff, it's like, I, f- I ended up with exactly the opposite feeling. Like, it's actually a very, to me, it landed like a hopeful thing of like, yes, there were a thousand different ways that your life could have gone. And very small things defined where you end up being and who ended up being. But that's kind of a like a beautiful characteristic of life. And yeah. I did take away that her crying at the end, like coming back to his her husband and crying, represents just like this grief mm-hmm. of both accepting that and knowing that that other life could have been a very happy life. While also being like, this is also a very happy life. I don't know. It was, it was, uh, yeah. I think it also just one of the more emotionally exhausting weeks I can imagine. So, oh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just <laughs> sure some of those tears were just purely exhaustion. Yeah, I'm so glad he left. Let's yeah. get some takeout. But yeah, just, yeah, it's a, it's a good film. It's gen- generally just, that's not my type of film is slow romantic talkies as opposed to, I don't know, I want some bombast or flair. And that's a very perfectly executed film that I can admire and really like the performances of. It's great. Yeah. Did you watch anything on your on your week of sabbatical? What did I watch? Uh, <laughs> I, I watched two older films, one new to me, which is Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. Mm, right have, have you seen old boy no we you tasted last week yeah well two weeks yeah ago. i uh i think you can you and ariella should just skip old boy i think you, you told you told us that. Yeah, yeah 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 it's a uh, very violent in a way that book or sorry park um handles very well it's also just got some very disturbing concepts in it but overall the thing I love, I've talked about Decision to Leave here. Um, my favorite podcast, Blank Check, is covering <laughs> Park Chan-wook right now, which is serendipitous for just me watching this. But he's just such a stylish director in ways that like, the style becomes the substance. I'm currently watching The Handmaiden as well, and it's beautiful and, and cool to see him do like a historical epic that also has his flair to it. So mm-hmm. highly recommend his films. Wouldn't start with old boy, but decision to leave okay. or, or thirst, real good. Um, I also rewatched Ready Player One, which was interesting. Great film. I'm on uh, Ready Player One TikTok because it has a ton of great scenes that are also very consumable on their own. That is funny. Uh, yeah. I rated it on Letterboxd two and a half stars the first time I saw it. Okay. Because I think the book's a piece of shit. Like, I have read the I've book. I've never read it. I've never read the book. It's it's poorly written, just in terms of like formally. There's nothing interesting about it, but not not in an offensive way. It's just sort of a got boring prose, and I just just find it like it's a book where the Easter eggs are the point, not necessarily. Whereas I think the film manages to make the Easter eggs besides the point, if that makes okay. sense. Uh, I found the film to be much more successful this time around. And I think most of that is 
Spielberg's direction of it slash his direction of one specific performance, which I did love the first time around, which is Mark Rylance. Just one of the strangest performances I've seen in a long time. But really perfectly captures something that the book emotionally doesn't have, which is this actual emotional pathos of the regret Halliday feels as opposed to just saying it. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like the... um, the book feels like Kutcher's jobs, whereas the movie, the Halliday character feels more like Fassbender's Steve Jobs, I think. Like, okay. just the same story, but one is like, wow, isn't this a crazy story of this character Halliday versus what are the emotional implications of that? And let's seriously reckon with that and think with that. And I think Rylance captures that despite like maybe 10 minutes of screen time. And I really love that. But overall, just the source material is so annoying to me that ultimately it's a four-star movie, not a five-star movie. But it is very good. I will not besmirch it anymore. Yeah. No, I remember thinking about that with the Rylands because I think I made it into Ready Player One TikTok like the same week that I went to see Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. So it, it was also all over like that connection. Especially the first scene that came up in TikTok is where when he's in like the archives and you know he's trying to like rewind and yeah see the moment where he says like why don't we go backwards or something like that he figures out the first key um but yeah so cool did you watch it in a screening a movie or just at home no i just watched it yeah. at home uh, on max i this is something that's i want to go on a tangent for a second which have you seen it, it, on the vision pro announcement day vision 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 Pro, that's the right combination of words that we landed on for the Apple product. Uh, did you see the side-by-side of somebody putting on the Vision Pro and, like, a hero shot of it going on, and then you see, like, everything rendered versus... Exactly the same as the one from Ready Player One. Like, just yeah. one for, like, everything. The blocking, the size of the headset and the frame, just everything purely ripped off that film. And... Well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna copy someone, you'd rather... It's a good I, choice to... Copy the blocking of Steven Spielberg. I do not disagree. And yeah. that got me thinking about the... I mean, I was thinking about that throughout, just how similar the vision of the Vision Pro is to the Oasis headsets. Like, just purely feels to be, like, almost a style point in terms of the ripping off the production design almost. It, it's, it's, But just, that does feel like such a perfectly executed world. And I, I something I love about the film is compared to like Alita Battle Angel or or a film that like is aggressively kind of CG and weird looking that mm-hmm. fil- the film is very concretely in the real world or in a heightened video game world and you understand why the mechanics of the cinematography and the physics are different and I love that about it and that just makes it see- seem so awe-inspiring and 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 immersive but I was thinking about that with in conversation with Minority Report as well, which is a interface that never took off. This like waving things in the air version visual interface, sure. but one that could be the interface of a of a VR headset and kind of seems to be what Apple might be going for. But just I was just sitting there thinking about those two films and how like Steven Spielberg is just so brilliant at manipulating space and thinking about how people interact with space and objects and just things within a frame that it's it's pretty wild that he also managed to 
pull off at least two just sort of like visions of what a good interface would look like casually within his films. That's just more illustration of his brilliance. I don't have a broader point than that. That's pretty, no, that's a good, I mean, I always take a tangent to throw roses at <laughs> Mr. Spielberg. Yeah, just, I make some more tech movies before he dies. <laughs> <laughs> we need some more inspiration or just, I don't know, Google hire him. Or yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he consulted somehow. Yeah. At some level. Um, but listen, last week, Recording the episode alone was an interesting process for me because I realized I uh, I, I missed the interaction and, and building up top of each totally. other. So I was curious to hear your your quick reactions slash additions slash disagreements to the things that I touched on last week, which were the updates to the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard, yeah. as well as Warner Brothers Discovery pushing Dune 2 to 2024. Less to say about Activision and Microsoft. I think all of your your points were spot on, specifically the fact that cloud gaming is no longer probably the crown jewel of Microsoft's future in the way that it would have been five years ago or even three years ago. So I, I think that's a, a fair point. The one piece of color I would add here is that not even because of cloud gaming, just generally... I think people are realizing that console exclusives really don't necessarily push the needle on sales because either people aren't buying just hardcore gamers or, or either they're committing to many consoles or no consoles at this point. And I think with that, these AAA titles that are not... Uh, Nintendo's always a different beast, right? We're not going to talk about Nintendo first party with this because I think that's just a different strategy generally but beyond that these AAA titles generally are multi-platform and you're even seeing like sony release spider-man and the mm -hmm. last of us on other platforms i think that's going to continue i just think it's it fits with sony's arms dealer strategy right of sure it, we are going to go where the money is it's very much what you talked about with google's product strategy as well we are going to sell on the most channels but we're also going to push that our channels are the best channels for the experience and try and get people to stay within that. So I, I think that that's the way the winds are blowing and it just doesn't make sense from an antitrust perspective clearly to limit that, but it also doesn't make sense from a modern gaming perspective to limit the availability of games. So I, I think those points were spot on. Um, with HBO and, sorry, HBO. I just had <laughs> Zaslav slash Dune written down. Mostly because I just write down Zaslav every week on my notes, just in case he does something weird. But let's talk about Dune. Um, the one comment I have there is there's an X factor that I don't think you touched on, which is how well Barbie's performing. And this is something that headlines came out after you had recorded about how it's now Warner Brothers' highest grossing release of all time. Which Crazy. That's shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, yeah. Yeah. It's funny that it's also, you've got Christopher Nolan stuff in there, and that's indelibly tied to this film. And honestly, Barbie might not have even become a phenomenon. Like, Barbie would have been a phenomenon. Barbie would be performing this well. But I think Barbie and Oppenheimer mutually reinforcing each other added, what, probably 25% to 50% of the box office in the US 
Sure, they either, or, they either gravitate to each other. Yeah, I think I think Barbie probably made ten to twenty five percent more because of Oppenheimer, and Oppenheimer probably made fifty percent more in the U.S. Yeah, which it is now Christopher Nolan's highest grossing film, except for The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. So, and do you see that it just opened in China today? No, I didn't. It opened in China today, five million Thursday, around twenty to twenty five for the first yeah. weekend. They expect, but yeah. Well, uh, but anyway, you, you were saying that, Barbie that, that, that'll probably do well in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, Barbie. Um, I think Barbie doing so well gives Warner Brothers some play here in a way that they haven't had for a, a while. Like yep. last year, Don't Worry Darling, and one of their what, what was their superhero release last year? There, there was one that tanked, uh, right? They ended up delaying everything. They didn't, didn't they have like four releases total? I think they, they wanted to save the marketing everything. for this year. Yeah. That's they that's do. what it was. Yes, they they were they couldn't afford to market because of the stock split. Ugh, what a mess this company is. Okay. So, this year I think Barbie doing so well empowers Warner to take more chances because at the end of the year everyone's going to be so distracted by how well Barbie did that they want to save something for next year. That's one option. I think the other option is Barbie's actually saving their asses here and they can afford to like float a little bit longer because just the Flash and Blue Beetle together, that is a horrific stain in terms of the box office impact. And, and I Shazam think, and Black Adam? Or was that last year, Black Adam? Was it the one? Black Adam was the one last year, yes. Yeah. There we go. We've got Aquaman 2 this year, but... And Wonka and something else. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe they're just moving Wonka out of... Or Dune out of Wonka's way. That's probably what it is. Yeah. Can you imagine? If I have to read the tea leads here, like... Overall, I could see two arguments. Either, like, we made enough this year, we want to spread it out and keep some cash for next year, too. Or our investors are already mad about this transition year for us, and Barbie saved us, so let's just push it through. But neither of those points are the point that they've said, which is that it's because actors can't promote and therefore we need to punt the release. I think that's just bullshit. Yeah. I think it's point. For me, the, the biggest thing with Warner Brothers is that, yes, Barbie's a humongous win. They're a company that needs multiple wins. Yes. And I don't know what there's... The other thing that I thought this past week was maybe their 2024 slate is not something they have a lot of trust in. And then moving Dune to like March helps also just to make 2024 stronger. Because the, is Joker let you let you coming next year? Is it this year? I don't know. Uh, I think it's next year, but that's not going to be... Yeah, it's not Actually, Joker performed Billion, didn't it? Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, that's yeah, that's the only other thing that came to mind. Uh, the other thing that came to mind is poor Zendaya. Because she also had a... Didn't she have like a tennis movie coming out next week? Like Champions or something like that? That also got delayed? Challengers, yeah. Challengers! I was like, it's not Prisoners, not Champions, Challengers. That is, that was uh, that pushback was very sad in the Smutko household because the trailer is great. And even though Alex does not love West Side Story as much as I do, one of the things she walked away from that movie with was who is Mike Feist and how do I see more of him? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, a big bummer. And uh, 
like every Luca Guadagnino film I've seen, give or take Suspiria. So, yeah. Yeah, poor, poor Zendaya. But poor Zendaya, totally. Um, I'm looking right now at their film slate for next year, and there's nothing here that seems like a layup to me. Um, you have Joker Folia Du comes out Folia in. Du. I'm just gonna enjoy my shitty French pronunciation for the rest of the year, but <laughs> comes out in the fall. And okay, it's an R-rated musical thriller. That's a sequel to a divisive film. Like we have no idea how that thing's gonna perform. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. There's a animated. Lord of the Rings film coming out next year? Really? Called Lord of the Rings The War of the Rohirrim. Oh, okay. Based um, on what? Is it an original? It's a prequel set 183 before the years before the events depicted in the 2002 film The Lord of the Rings The Two Towers. I don't know why it's before What? Why this so state system is granted to that. <laughs> Like, I don't know why that's the uh, BBY of Lord of the Rings, apparently. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> specifically, yeah. I do not know why it is grounded here. It's a... Uh, the only reason I can of... think of... The only reason I can think of is that it's a very nerdy way. That in the Lord of... In the Two Towers, they something. said something around 183 years ago. And then, because that's the only canon, even though they know how long before was the Fellowship of the Ring, they were just like, let's just keep it like that. It's about a king of Rohan, played by Brian Cox, who uh, must defend against an army of Dunladings. Are they they the kids of the king? And they're fighting to see who needs to be king? (laughs) No? Okay. Because that sounds pretty good. The biggest names on here are Brian Cox and Miranda Otto as Erwin. So that's oh, Erwin. Still yeah. Okay. So okay. So you have that. Like I'm just going through this because these these are the four biggest films I wanted to call out, and all of them are like I have no idea how this is going to perform in either way. So film number three here is Furiosa, the oh. Mad Max prequel. Is it George so, Miller or just George Miller produced? No, it's it's fully George Miller. Um, oh, yes. Starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Chris Hemsworth. So. Wait. Not Charlize Theron? It's a prequel. Like, young Furiosa. But Anna Taylor-Joy was in Fury Road. No, she wasn't. As not Furiosa. She wasn't? No, just every other angelic woman... Of her gener- acting generation was in it instead. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I feel like I just rewatched it and I saw her and I was like, oh, that's Anna Taylor-Joy. It's not. There is just one of them that looks very similar to her. No. Wow. That's crazy. Well, apologies. <laughs> that could do well. I mean, Fury Road, I think, is widely considered to be one of the three best films of the century by everyone. <laughs> so sure, at least top five. Could do great. But also... It's it a risky hot. endeavor, right? Like yeah. we, the reasons for that betting against that are self-evident. And then the last one, which is a March release, is Bong Joon Ho's 
Parasite follow-up starring Robert Pattinson and Steven Yeun called Mickey 17 about a expendable oh, yeah. clone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now great. it's in the way of Dune. Dune now is it's in the way of Dune. So Dune is sucking off... I would assume so. Why would you put your prestige blockbuster sci-fi against your prestige best pic- first Korean best picture winner Final sci-fi, up, right? like indie sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the four things that I want to call out. Okay. There's also Beetlejuice 2 and Twisters. And eh. are either well, of those films calling out for sequels? When I went to watch Beetlejuice the musical, people were really into it. Like it has a, it has an imp- a very strong follower, like follow sheep, follow group. But okay, I don't think it's that big. Okay, but well, it's very strong. I didn't realize that Tim Burton's actually directing it, which doesn't mean anything in this this day and age. But it does have the return of Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton mm-hmm. Winona Ryder, Catherine O'Hara, and also Janet Ortega's in it. So it'll probably do well. Maybe it'll make a billion dollars. Is she playing Wednesday? That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, she's playing. Okay, she's playing Winona Ryder's daughter. Okay. Uh, Monica Bellucci is playing Beetlejuice's <laughs> wife. Okay. Um, so yeah, that film will probably actually do well, but it probably won't be good based on everyone's track record there. So, ooh, Seth Graham Smith is doing the screenplay or the story. That's a name I haven't heard in about ten years. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh. I am clearly just in a like read Wikipedia and, and uh, ramble mode today. No, that I think I mean there is a lot of uncertainty in that slate. N- so nothing I, there can seems use like a layup. Yeah, they can use Dune to us way to be like, yeah, this is now the strongest thing we have, which was also the strongest thing they had now. Well, now apart from Barbie, right? Um, okay, maybe they're just but trying yeah, to punt sense. the decision on whether or not they make Dune Messiah. Exactly. Yeah, pass the cost to whoever they merge with in January 2024. Before we move off the subject, do you want to dig into the concept of actor promotion for a second? Like, I think you and I both take it as a as a given that actors not being able to promote films is not hurting, going to hurt the box office here. But is that, do you think that's actually true? Is this a normie tv's ratings thing where maybe most of america actually decides to watch a movie because they see commercials on tv and people want to see it like this feels like one of those my first thought is that this is one of those things that is it's probably never been a b tested you know true and it's like what there is no way to to test it yeah there is no except where yeah there is no way to test it because even now if if they did keep it and the strike was still ongoing and they didn't do any promotion, it's still impossible to know how much that specific thing impacted everything else. Yeah. And I can see where they might come from in terms of like, oh, it doesn't become as big a spectacle or a big, as big an expectation if you don't have them, you know, doing the late night shows and doing the wire questions, whatever, and, and some of these things. But... What could be, like, I don't know. It feels like they could just do that in other ways. They create a different version of the trailer. They have 
Denis Villeneuve saying something about Dune 1 to come across as if it's about Dune 2. I'm sure they've given some interviews about the process and creating it of, like, you know, Timothy being like, oh, Denis is a visionary, you know, at yeah. some point. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, I don't know, for something like Dune, especially. Because yeah, it had six weeks of IMAX reserved yeah. for all for their own. Like, it's also not, I don't know, super weird. I totally agree with that. I, maybe, maybe there's like a social angle here of celebrities talking about it on their socials, bumps into people's feeds, and then they see it. But my fundamental assumption is that most people just don't care about seeing movies in theaters. And I would love for that to change. Maybe it will change now that people got back into theaters to see at least one of the two big summer releases this year. But ultimately, I think people's default mindset is just, I'm going to wait and see if I hear about it, and then it shows up, and either somebody in my life tells me or it's fed to me in a, a streaming algorithm. And those are things, those are forces that are completely outside of the actor promotion cycle. Like, you and I hearing about movies is not because... An actor did one of 20 interviews and did the like wired Google thing and a late night appearance and blah, blah, blah. It's because we follow these things, we're interested in these things, then we go see them and we tell our friends. And that doesn't move the needle on theatrical. The thing that does move the needle on theatrical is momentum from people seeing a good movie in a theater and wanting to see another good movie in a theater. And by moving this, I think they kill all chance of this because this is the for a single film that was actually going to be able to coast off of that in some way, at least for Warner. But I think I can't think of another bigger film this year. Barbie and Oppenheimer. <laughs> exactly. Like we, yeah. we did those. Yeah. Pillars of the Flower Moon is just, it's it, people will see it, but it's not going to perform at the level of that. Uh, I weirdly, it did actually get some of those IMAX slots though. Now that uh, it's, now that Dune has moved out of November, they're, it releases in late October. They're going to write it for a few weeks, and then I think the, the Marvels gets some of the spots after that. But, yeah, it's it's a stupid decision by Warner Brothers. Yeah. And everyone, at least that matters in the media world, I hope can see through that. Yeah, pretty sad. I was very excited for Dune. I was too. We'll wait a little bit more. I was actually I was excited to finish the first Dune movie. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I still remember that day, finishing the movie and being like, "Wait, this was part one." Yeah, I know. I didn't know. Uh, did you have anything else about last week's episode before we talk a little bit about ESPN? I did not. I think that's pretty. Yeah, just bewildering decision. Wanted to throw some other ideas at you, and the answer is. Regardless, it's a dumb decision, but we don't know why they made the dumb decision. And there are a lot of really stupid reasons why they could have chosen it. ESPN actually had some news last week that I wanted to touch on and I forgot. But um, I don't know if you saw, but ESPN signed a deal with Penn, P-E-N-N, which is a, basically an online casino, like sports mm-hmm. betting company, which had a partnership with Barstool Sports. This random bro website that existed, and it was yeah. Barstool 
uh, betting. And on the same day, they announced that they uh, finished their partnership with Barstool and that they gain, uh, entered into a partnership with ESPN to launch ESPN Bet. So basically what this means is that Penn is going to continue to run their online sports betting. It's just going to be branded like ESPN. It was unclear in terms of if the partnership, how much is going to include like ESPN in its airwaves pushing this service or talking about ESPN. It's probably going to be very natural and it's going to fit into everything that's happening with advertising. Yeah. And in terms of financials, uh, Penn is paying ESPN $1.5 billion over the next 10 years. So $150 million a year. And they are also basically giving ESPN uh, a lot of options, basically, for Penn stock. That depends that if they perform well, assuming, of course, based on ESPN's name, ESPN has the right to buy parts of Penn. Just to put this into perspective, um, the latest numbers of Disney's kind of cable business, which doesn't differentiate between ESPN and everything else, mm -hmm. in the first six months of 2023 made around $3 billion in profit. So let's assume that a third of that was ESPN. That's a billion in a in, in a complete year. That would have been two. So this represents somewhere between 5 and 10% of basically direct profit for ESPN. Yeah. It's pretty nice, just for the naming rights. They're already probably already on doing some sports betting. The thing that was a little, a little bit surprising but when you connect the dots, it actually makes a lot of sense. Is that Bob Iger had said in 2019 that he didn't feel that sports betting was something that necessarily went and aligned with Disney values. But with everything that's happening with ESPN, with everything that their Disney is going through, where they reached their lowest stock price, I think in 10 years, 15 years, yeah. this past week, uh, this is just, I think, just another one of those strategic partners that they're looking. I think it makes sense. Seems like low effort for them. Um, but yeah, wanted to get your reactions on that. Disney's values or whatever the population of the United States deems to be socially acceptable. Like that's the long and short of it, right? And whatever sure. is a conservative business decision. They are never the first mover on anything, give or take theme park technology, which... I wish that was more give than take right now. Um, they always wait and see what's going to be the vibe on it and if people are going to think it's gross or turn on it or whatnot. And I think the market has borne out that sports betting is popular and here to stay. Mm, it's legal in many, if not most states at this point. What's the legality? Do we know? I think it's like half. Yeah, so it's like as popular as medical marijuana, or not medical, like recreational oh, yeah, marijuana a, at this point. That's probably a good, yeah, that's probably yeah. a good and I, and I It's think probably it's, a very similar overlap of states. Yeah, probably well, similar overlap. Actually. I, I don't know. Yeah, I second out of myself. I mean, I would say it's probably actually more likely to be in states where it's something that we're just like making this up and checking, not making our assumptions. <laughs> For, for me, I would expect it's more likely to exist in states that are that don't already allow cons gambling in some way because the gambling log lobby and or the Native American populations in the states don't want it there. Sure. Um, 
But I'm just looking this up. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, I like that, that. I think that's a good way to think it because I think a lot of a lot of the power behind it comes from, you know, adults should be able to do whatever they want. And yeah. this becomes a new source of tax revenue for the states. Exactly. Which both of those are So are good. I, I have a list here of the states where uh, sports betting is legal. So it's legal in Arizona, which maybe has legal with Arkansas, which definitely does not, or it would really surprise me. Colorado, yes. Connecticut, yes. Delaware, I guess. Uh, Illinois, Indiana, eesh, no. Iowa, oof, no. Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, okay, never mind. <laughs> not that much. Now this is making me think that sports betting is legal in more states. See, I'm, I'm seeing conflicting lists here. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Weed's pretty legal at this point. Like, if you consider medical and... Oh, no, no. I, I think recreational. Recreational is probably a better a better uh, weight. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Regardless, I, I'd say at least in Tangent. terms of the Overton window politically, they are both fairly similar, except one is not federally illegal and the other is. So, sure. I think that's why Disney's willing to move here. And to a broader point, it's been ESPN month on Stuck in Development, where we've talked about ESPN every week because it's just unclear what's going to happen to the company. So, overall, I think it makes sense to explore it as an additional revenue stream that's not tied to cable. Long and short yeah. of it. Yeah. And it also maybe makes it more attractive for a sale. I don't think this actually makes it mutually incompatible with them trying to spin it out and in fact maybe somebody like a Harris or a Penn or whoever is like or FanDuel though I'm, I don't think they would acquire ESPN I, I would see somebody else trying to break into this market to acquire it but we don't know yeah, yeah at least like you mentioned a good cushion it's a good cushion make some more money easy money yeah. they're doing something Do you have an AUA for me? I do. Ooh. Go for it. Okay. What is the reaction of the general public going to be to Apple switching lightning cables to USB-C cables in about two weeks on the iPhone? Define and... general public. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, what did you say? Defi define general public. I think Half the, your Facebook feed. I think I think nobody's gonna care. I like think I think it's, it's gonna be like a lightning to dock connector. No, 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 no. Exactly, and it's also one of those things that is moving in the right direction. So I think for most people, it's gonna be like, oh, now I can use these other seventeen chargers that I have instead of needing this special. I think it's gonna be a thing with like tech bloggers and you know you and I that are really into these things of being like, oh, what does it mean? But in reality, it's like. It made a lot of sense. Everything should have been USB-C. I've told you that it's insane that I have four Apple devices and I need four different cables. Because my MacBook Air charges with a new MagSafe. The, uh, the iPad is USB-C. The iPhone and the AirPods are Lightning. And then the, the watch is whatever the watch is. 
it's bananas. Like it's so bad. It is. Yeah. And and now when when it moves, I could go. I go to Mexico tomorrow. I could just take one. Well, on the watch, but suddenly the USB C charges everything. Yeah. I love the, the fact that the Mac still charges on USB C. I they would yeah. not do that, but I my Mac CF cable is in my backpack for, because that's the only time I ever use it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the slow transition across all the product lines to USB-C has, you could Galaxy Brain say, this is so that we didn't have the lightning to, or 30 pen to lightning thing happen again where people are mad and accusing us of trying to make money. I think it, I think what it really is, is they just dragged their feet on what they were doing with it. They dragged their feet on if they were just going portless before they went to USB-C. And they also were forced to do this by the EU, ultimately. Yeah. Thank you, but, EU. Yeah, it's a good thing. And that said, I don't know, my phone, I just bought a phone last year, so I'll have lightning for a little longer. And I guess my AirPods will probably wear out at the same time as my phone. So, yeah. Get USB-C then. Yeah. I think I've told you what I'm becoming a, a green bubble in the fall. No, you didn't. Yeah. I'm assuming a pixel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pixel. <clears throat> pixel 8. Yeah, this, my iPhone turns 3, I think, a week before Thanksgiving. And I think the Pixel 8 comes out in October. So, yeah, good time. Ooh, Pixel 8? When you say that like that, it sounds like a verb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pixel 8, exactly. Pixel 8 Pro. You're pro at pixelating. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was good to catch up, man. I'm glad Always you're back. Good. We were able to review each other. Yeah, I feel like this was one of my worst episodes in terms of just rambling, but long day at work. So why? I think it was good that you looked at I sources and we didn't just stuff up. I mean, a little bit. But. This is sometimes I sometimes I get on here and I just speak extemporaneously for with you for like an hour, and sometimes I'm sort of just like I'm gonna do observational comedy based off of whatever I'm reading, <laughs> and this is one of the latter. <laughs> I like I like your observational comedy. Um, it, today was just oops all Carl reacts to either last week's episode or Wikipedia <laughs> or this week yeah exactly uh, okay thank you everyone for listening uh, we'll talk to you next week bye Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media students, uh, sorry, one, my mic was too up, too loud, and two, I had my feedback on, so let me just read that. Just keep it, did you stop recording? Cool, then we're good, we're synced. All right. All right.